Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new Black Magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic. And we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 72nd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt Enloe. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today we are catching up. Matt is finally done with his many months of shooting. We're going to talk about all the lessons learned and how fun it is to be done. <laughs> And then <laughs> it is good to be done. We're also going to uh, listen to a listener voicemail and answer them their question. And finally, we are talking about uh, showrunning versus directing, especially in this episodic series world and some opportunities we've heard of lately. So that's it. Let's get into it. But before that, Oren, what have you been working on lately? Well, I have. Uh, well, I've been. Working on a lot of things, actually. I'm kind of in one of those modes where I'm trying to figure out the next big project. So I, uh, I've i been talking a lot about this project that we were pitching to CWC that I'm doing with New Form, an episodic martial arts action comedy show. Uh, and that one is especially interesting because the financing is coming from a Canadian company. And I just found out last week that in order for the financing to go through, the director needs to be Canadian. And last I checked, I was not Canadian. Mm. I tried to marry a Canadian real that. quick. Oh, good, good one. I tried to marry a Canadian, but my wife didn't let me. <sighs> good one. Thanks. <laughs> um, so now I can't direct. I already told you about this, Matt, but uh, the... There has been talk of potentially having me show run the show instead. And yeah. so maybe we can have a real quick conversation about what a showrunner even is for people that are listening that that don't quite know. Yeah, yeah. The easiest uh, way to explain a showrunner in my mind is that they are the person that if you could clone uh, would do all of the jobs. Um, they are uh, the most experienced or insightful writer in the room. They're um, uh, typically a really good director, uh, and they're a producer and a business person all rolled into one. But because the enterprise of running or creating a, a television or scripted series 
um, is so demanding that can't be in the writer's room and on set and in business meetings and producing all at once. And so they delegate all of those jobs to a head writer and a director and a UPM and a studio executive um, on a rotating basis, basically. So if they're not in the writer's room, those other three jobs are being taken care of. Or if they are in the writer's room, I should say, and vice versa. So um, it's just it's it's purely that they can't be there uh, all at once, basically. Right. Yeah. I always, you know, when I very, the very, very first time I heard the word showrunner, I just assumed it was some sort of production assistant, right? That like <laughs> right, runs that and around. gets stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Runs to get uh, copies for everyone. But now I think of the showrunner as someone on an episodic show that is basically the person that makes the show the show. Mm-hmm. They run the show, obviously. Uh, you know, some famous showrunners are J.J. Abrams. The showrunner of Lost, Vince Gilligan, right? Breaking you know. Bad, Matthew Weiner, uh, Mad Men, sure, Weiner, Weiner, Weiner. Yeah. Um, so, or like Lena Dunham and Jenny Connor, kind of show co-show run on on Girls, right? Right. And on the show I directed last year, Miss Twenty Fifty Nine, we had co-showrunners Simon and Aaron, and they were basically the head writers in the writers' room. They ran the writers' room. They did a pass on every single script. Before it was shot, they were part of hiring me. Uh, mm-hmm. They had to approve all of the the people that I wanted to hire, the mm-hmm. DP, the production designer, etc. They were involved in casting. They knew all the actors personally and talked to them on set when possible. They saw all the sets, the location, the schedule. And they really were like my partners in trying to figure out how to take the show from script right. to production. Right. And then in post-production, I would have my director's cut, and when I was done, they would come in, and they would have the showrunner cut, which is was basically the final cut. Right. Well, and also, we were skipping over the, the tone meeting. Oh, yes. Right. So, like, uh, after the scripts are written, and they kind of were the ones that wrote them, uh, when you're kind of in the middle of pre-production, you'll sit down with all of your department heads and the director and go through scene by scene and make sure that all of the jokes or emotional intention or stunts, all of that stuff is clear and that the director knows uh, how to execute it. So that's the kind of the place where it's like, you kind of clarify any of those questions, like what did they mean by this? Or, you know, is this supposed to be funny or sad or whatever, you know? Right. They're the ones that kind of have the arc of the show and the characters in their mind. Now, on a show like Miss 2059 or yep. Shitty Boyfriends, let's say. Sure, Shitty Boyfriends. Um, there's only yeah. one director. So right. the director on shows like that, when the same person directs all the episodes, the director more or less has the same knowledge of mm-hmm. than, that the showrunners have of how the characters arc over the season. Right. But when right. you have five different directors that are each just worried about their own episode, it's the showrunner's job to help the director keep track of where mm-hmm. their episodes fit into the grander season right so in this circumstance of like being an episodic like typically on a network show you don't know uh what the season finale of last man on earth is going to be and so you don't know what breadcrumbs are important and what they're kind of laying down and so the showrunner is there to make sure that the big picture beats are all taken care of and that the director knows how to execute those beats because the showrunner may be on set or they might be you know, doing notes on the last episode or they might be breaking new stories or, you know, there's 15 places that a a showrunner should be at any given time uh, every single day. 
Right. And it's totally acceptable for a showrunner to be on set and see a shot and tell the director, hey, make sure to get a close-up of that. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and oftentimes those notes are relayed to a director um, based off of, uh, you know, the previous episode that they were just shooting. You know, like I've personally witnessed instances where a showrunner will be like, hey, I need you to make sure you get clean singles on these characters because on the last episode, the other director didn't do it. You know what I mean? Things like yeah. that, you know. Um, so they're the big, big, big boss. Um, what's interesting about digital series is because oftentimes they're the one director for the entire season, right? That, that really changes things. And also oftentimes, uh, because it's digital, it's an opportunity for everyone. And so oftentimes the show creator doesn't have as much production experience as, um, as a director does, you know? Right. And so there are a lot of things that they'll be learning on set or uh, don't care about, frankly, or don't understand why they should care about it um, in some circumstances. And it was interesting, you know, kind of on all of my shows, there's this real sliding scale of uh, interest slash experience slash time, you know, that everyone is dealing with. Hey folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens. Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off to save 50 bucks. And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker, by email, or over the phone. It's like a cool password if you're in the U.S. That's just shoot it 50 off. Check them out. Let us know how it goes. And it should be noted that the showrunner is not necessarily the show creator. That's um, true. Yeah. Oftentimes, they're different people. You know, the super experienced showrunners, the J.J. Abrams and Vince sure. Gilligan's, are usually writing their own shows and doing right. or adapting the projects that they really want to do. Right. But... Uh, Many other times, somebody sells a show, they've never made a show before, and so the studio will attach a, a seasoned showrunner. To come in and Yeah, and what I find it for them. is interesting that showrunners do that writers don't is they are in the edit room. You know, mm -hmm. they, it's very, very important that they understand editing and production, of course. Um, but the showrunner and i think there's like a showrunner training course or something for in the pga right yeah there there's it's such a hard job and there are so few people who have done it and so there there's so much content being made right now that um you know they're just we're, there's a drought of showrunners frankly and so they're trying their hardest to figure out ways to bring up people and so uh, especially since it you know you're essentially the the ceo of uh, you know, an entire organization, right, of like a couple hundred people, like it's a multi-million dollar business. And so they want to give those jobs to people who uh, have done it before. And so um, that's created this domino effect of 
it being like a, a lot of old white dudes. And so there people are really trying to fix that um, right. pretty proactively. Yeah. And there are some, yeah, like Shonda Rhimes or some, and you were saying Lena Dunham, yeah. Jenny Connor. There's some yeah. really famous um, showrunners of all types. Sure, of course. But, um, yeah, but, but like you know, that part of the training program, I think, is to remedy that problem. Yeah. Cool. Um, and so, so in your mind, Matt, what does the director get to do that the showrunner doesn't? Um, that's interesting. Uh, do you, again, it slides from a digital series or your own web, your own web series, you're just doing everything. So showrunner, director. Well, let's say from my, so, you know, just to be totally transparent, like I haven't, I don't know yet if I'm going to be the showrunner or not. It's still kind of a negotiations. It's a much bigger time commitment than directing because Mm -hmm. directing, you basically get the scripts. You can give some input on how to change them to work for production or if you have some ideas for jokes or better action mm-hmm. thing, whatever you can you can change the scripts but you're not really super involved in writing them right um and then you can give notes on post you can do a cut but ultimately you can jump ship whenever you want to go to the next project right the showrunner has to be there from the very first writing meeting from a to, to Z. the yeah. final delivery yeah uh so we're still trying to figure that out and then in theory a showrunner should be paid more than a director right because they are spending like twice as much time right um so, but in my specific situation on like kind of a yeah, new form size budget, uh, and given the fact that we'll probably have multiple directors, mm-hmm. uh, we're doing 10 episodes, 10 22 minute episodes, and then it'll probably be between two and four directors, I think. Right. What yeah. do you think they'll do that I wouldn't get to do? I think that, well, I'll, I'll, I'll answer the opposite question, actually. I think that as a showrunner, it's great that you'll get to ensure that the scripts that are being written and broken are satisfying to you on a creative level but also on an execution level because i think so often um the thing that really kind of is a detriment to the projects that we work on is that they are written with uh ambition that is greater than the resources that are allocated to it right yeah and so being able to be creative from the ground up and making sure that the show is as good as it can be and as ambitious as it should be. And that's not to say that it shouldn't be creatively ambitious, but there's a difference between writing a really cool, you know, stunt where a fist fight versus, you know, a laser fight, right? They can both be equally awesome, but like lasers cost more money than fists, period. You know what I mean? Um, So I think being able to weigh in on those things and control those things so that you have the best outcome possible is really great. And then on the post side, you know, you're so hands-on that I think being able to make sure that those edits are exactly the way you want them to be and to see them all the way through to completion and make sure that every single T is crossed and I is dotted, I think will be really satisfying for you in a way that like is important to me in certain aspects, but in other aspects, not so much. Like your eye for VFX is stronger than mine, right? So like, or even like sometimes like coming down to the fine edit, I think you'll really be able to get in there in a way that you weren't able to as a director. I think what you'll miss is um, being in the trenches, right? Like you're going to be pulled away from, you know, scenes where someone's shooting something important and you won't be there to make sure that it's exactly the way you want it. And like, you know, but in theory, you'll show up and there'll be a, you'll, there'll be a shot. That's not what you had envisioned. That will happen for sure. Yes, right. in theory, but not 100% of the time, for sure. Right, because you know? we're putting out fires, we're rewriting right. scripts, we're losing locations, and I'm now with the writers trying to figure out right. how we write this to take place in that a problem. Yeah. 
yeah, your bathroom instead of a mansion. Right, right. Or, you know, an actor isn't available anymore and you need to rewrite something or whatever. And as a digital director, you're oftentimes a part of those um, solutions in a way that will feel really familiar, I think. But you, there's a real satisfaction in knowing that we're not rolling unless I'm there. You know, right, and I think that'll be the thing that'll that'll maybe bug you a little. That's something that I think I personally would be okay with. Like, I don't feel like I'm a control freak. Like, I feel like I'm very opinionated, especially when it comes to post production. Mm-hmm. But on set, I like I, I don't think I don't look at other directors and think to myself, "Oh, I I would have done this so much better," or you know, I have. Uh, so I I, sure. I feel like. I would be okay with that. I mean, ultimately, I don't get to make the shot list, and I don't get to decide where the camera goes. Right, and you don't get to tell the actor, you don't get to direct the actor the way you would, you know? Right, but I can say to the director, like, hey, that's like a little broad for the show. Let's do a grounded take. Yeah, but I I think... And it's it's their responsibility to communicate that to the actor in a way that is sometimes... I don't know, I'm sure you've been in this situation many times, but... I'll be like, especially on commercial sets and the client's like, let's just do one with way more energy. And like sometimes that note just doesn't work and you have to start translating it into something that does work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, or like they'll say like, oh, it's not funny. Can you like have them do it a funnier version? Sure, and you're like, sure. uh, do it funny. Yeah, yeah, that one's, I love that note. Um, so so yeah. there there is some like stress off your back sure. when you're not you know responsible for that so i have two scenarios i want you to imagine right one is you rather than saying the bad note of like oh this is uh not funny do it funny say um you really have a good like you've got like a great verb or like a really way to like explain a beat in a way that you know that direction would work really well and then that director hears what you said and translates it in a way that you don't like Right. Right. And you can probably hear the headsets are probably live. So you can probably hear that conversation, you know, Um, and you can hear the translation. And there's a little bit of you that's like, dang, the way I would have said it would have worked better. Right. That's a scenario that could happen. It probably will. Not to second guess the directors that you'll hire. Right. But, you know. Yeah. And you don't want to step on toes too much. Right. And then also, I think there'll be a situation where you will be in editing and you'll be like, I would have fixed this problem, but I wasn't there to do it. Oh, on set? On yeah. set, yeah. Yeah, but I think, you know, I don't know. I've been in trouble in post so many times that I I think, well, first of all, I think I would hire directors that I really would sure. trust, yeah, yeah. which is what part of what the showrunner you know, gets to do is sure. be really influential on who's directing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. On Miss 2059, our showrunners, we got along so well that a lot of times they'd, have kind of a note for the actors and I'd be like You'd, running around between it. like a, oh, e- a million yeah. different things. And I'd be like, do you, just, do you mind you. just, yeah. especially if it was one of the main cast that knew the showrunners sure. really well, I'd be like, do you mind just going and telling Anna yeah. that or doing like, yeah. they were, we were like kind of a well-oiled machine. Sure. I mean that they, you know, were, were on a Netflix show at the same right. time. So they weren't on set that much, but uh, I well, do wonder if they, were in editing, wondering like why I didn't get a certain Wonder. shot. Sure, and, I'm and sure they the, were. There are always good reasons. Right. You could be like, well, I had ten minutes before lunch, and I'd hit meal pen- penalties the last three weeks or right. something. You know, um, you know, there's it's, there's a little bit of uh, Monday morning quarterbacking. Is that what the expression? Yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you yeah. another question. What do you think 
of like if you're in my situation, I think we talked about this a little bit yesterday. You said you that show running is something that appeals to you. Uh, would it change if it was like co-show running, like um, with another showrunner, where mm-hmm. maybe the other showrunner was a little more responsible for the mm-hmm. scripts and you were a little bit more responsible for production? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I think you and I have slightly different goals, which I think is an interesting thing for us to th- for for you to think through. And I should also uh, just to backpedal a tiny bit. I'm mostly playing devil's advocate on this stuff. I think show running is a great job and I think you'll do a great job and really like it. You know what I mean? So I'm just kind of like, oh, here are the pros and cons. Right, right. Yeah. Um, obviously, but just to say. Um, but yeah, so so in terms of me taking a show running position, um, you know, I think that, uh, I think I'm a little more writing oriented than you are. And so, you know, I would want to be more on the other side than you're, I think you're a little more production hands-on, right? So like, I think that doing the co-running, uh, co-show running, I think I would want to be a little bit more in the room and I think you would want to be a little bit more on set, right? Would, would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I'd say, yeah. If if it was like me and another showrunner and we were equal in all ways and it's like, okay, well, somebody has to make sure we're getting the, mm-hmm. we're shooting it right and somebody else has to be working on tomorrow's episode. Right. I'd rather be shooting, shooting it right. right. But yeah. I would obviously want to read the script and talk about what the tomorrow's episode is going to be and I would communicate to the other showrunner like how right. I think shooting right. it right, what that means. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I found myself in a position where you know, I think I probably even said this on the show. Sometimes it feels like I'm the only one who knows the sun is going down, mm-hmm. uh, which is a way of saying you kind of have to brute force your way through a day of production or just producing in general to get something shot and in the can. And so the luxury of being the person who's like uh, a little more story oriented and a little less, oh, hitting overtime's not my problem sounds pretty good. You know what I mean? Like, um, and I, I think I've gotten, I think on this last couple things, I've done a pretty good job of striking that balance of making sure you get everything in the can um, and also making your days but not being so precious about it that it is a detriment to the product, you know? Right. Which is, I think, the the challenge of every director, right? Well, to me with the show running, yeah. like with the writing and the story, the only time I'm really frustrated when I'm not involved is if A, I don't think it's good, or B, I don't think it's shootable. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and it, so those are my thing. I don't care if I wrote it and it's great, mm-hmm. or, or if somebody right. else wrote it and it's great. Right. So to me, the only time I'm really upset when I'm not involved in the creative is when I think it's something I've seen a million times before, right. or it feels generic, or it's like 10 pages of dialogue for something we can do in one right. shot right. visually. To me, like the most interesting part of filmmaking, the two most interesting parts are how you convert a script to mm-hmm. a visual story, one, mm-hmm. and two, how you put the pieces that you got on set together in a way that an audience finds compelling. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, that like whether it's a hero's journey or whether it's a Nike commercial montage, right. whatever, like. All like to me those those are the fun challenges and mm-hmm. those are the hardest parts of filmmaking. Right, right. I mean, you know, aside from getting people to give you money to make your stuff. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, and I I think that's really fascinating um, because to me, 
I think the the thing that's the other part that's a little bit more fun is like that blueprint of just like getting a really solid blueprint in place. And then I love production and I love post. I think and you love writing, but um but I think the Venn diagram I think is a little more weighted for pre pro or rather writing for me and you are a little more post oriented. So I think that that would be I think I think having that trade off is is really really nice to have someone that you can rely on and trust to deliver on the the aspects that you don't have time for basically i think it would be a real luxury i think you would love it well we shall yeah we'll see i think we're we'll find out more this week about what the terms and the deals and the schedules are i mean i'm kind of hoping that if if it is a co-show running type of thing Mm -hmm. with somebody else that's more involved in the writing it will Mm -hmm. allow me to maybe be in la a little bit more Mm -hmm. and then they can be in la while i'm uh, right. you know, in posts in Canada. So yeah. What, uh, what's, what's next for you? Well, I was going to say actually one other thing before we move on from the show running thing that's based on, so what I just wrapped, um, a show for an adaptive with Kate Grady, who was just on the show, um, where the showrunner, um, Julia Prescott, uh, who was the creator as well, you know, had had some production experience for sure, but kind of not, she wasn't quite as hands-on, right? And did she write all the scripts? She wrote all the scripts. By yeah. herself? By herself, yeah. Yeah, and it was really uh, a treat. They're super dense, super funny, um, and... What I, do you mean by dense? Just, like, in terms of, like... Uh, packed with story? Pack, packed with story, packed with jokes, um, and packed with, like, character relationships and stuff. They're, they really... You know, it was the a opposite really, of sparse. Exactly the opposite of sparse. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was it well it made for an interesting challenge because um, there it wasn't very fatty. Like so, when we were in trouble in terms of just kind of making our days, there weren't obvious things to cut because you were cutting story beats and in addition to cutting jokes, in addition to cutting characters, in addition to cutting setups. You know, it was kind of like a really tight puzzle. Um, but. So I think that the thing that was interesting about that relationship, those roles really kind of solidify themselves relatively quickly of like, what are the strong suits of each person? And so you can rely on the other person to pick up slack, you know, in ways that you weren't anticipating. So a good example was like, Julia would kind of talk to people in the beginning of the day while I was building shots and like blocking things and kind of dealing with all of the production e production stuff. Did you um, shot list? I did not. No. Yeah. Um, the reason being um, the location was so untamed and we talked about it. it's hard to shot list if you don't know where you're shooting. Yeah. And there were so many circumstances where it was like you'd find a new corner and it would totally change your blocking and therefore totally t- change your build. And you were doing mainly exteriors? Mainly exteriors in, um, you know, 100 plus degree weather. Um, right. And, and the lighting was mainly like grip stuff? Bounces ma- mainly and grip and, and diffusion and yeah. And like kind of honestly were, was dictated by where the sun was. Right. And so um, it, was a ber- it was a lean crew and it was pretty minimal lighting and looks awesome. Um, but I knew that the way to do that was to make sure that we were flexible with our shots. And so um, we would block and then shot list based off of that. Right. Um, which is a way that I really like to work. I, I had planned all of my, or most of my transitions. And um, we had, again, a kind of a list of rules of like how each 
shot was supposed to work, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the like way a, st- a shooting strategy. A shooting strategy. Such. Yeah, yeah. Like a philosophy of like, okay. Was it handheld or dolly? Or uh, mostly, sticks? mostly sticks and dolly. The very rarely did we go handheld. It was like just a handful of times. It was super, super rare. Um, and a lot of panning, a lot of tilting, and like a decent amount of Dana Dolly, especially when we were um, transitioning into things and stuff. So, you know, we had a, a strategy, but um, but so kind of all of those logistics meant that she had a window to talk to people about character. And then once we were rolling, it was more my job to kind of uh, lead the charge you know, so the, we there was a very clear handoffs that were developed, and it was um, uh, all of which is to say, I think that you will, when you find a, a, a collaborator that you're really compatible with, those those lanes become apparent very quickly. And were, was she involved in like wardrobe? Um, not so much, not so much. I we had some conversations about character. And I would send her photos, but she kind of unfortunately, or fortunately, I mean, you know, um, she got a great, great day job, basically, that kind of took her away from a handful of yeah. things. When, when I say day, writing job on a, you know, a dream project, basically. Oh, cool. So she was kind of like, wasn't super available for prep the way she would have been if she, if we started, started shooting a month ago, you know. Right. Well, yeah, it's always fun when you can team up with someone. I remember... My first feature, I had the producers, they'd written the script, and they were, like, behind me by the monitor mm-hmm. the entire first week, just, like, freaked out that I would, like, mess up their dream right, movie. Right. And after a week, they, like, basically were never by the monitor again <laughs> sure. because they trusted me. Um, and then I, the next feature I worked on, I was not directing. I was just uh, helping out with some camera stuff. The producers did not care at all about mm-hmm. the script. And the director was just kind of all by himself at the monitor. Mm. And I always felt really bad for him because there's no one that was like, oh, that was awesome or that was great. And he would just be like, okay, let's do one more. Yeah, let's move on. And yeah. it to me, like that's part of, you know, part of the fun of filmmaking is like all the opinions and arguing mm-hmm. and debating and figuring right. out what everything means. If you're just like, okay, yeah, that's great. Let's go on. Like you're just a little bit. It's just lonely. <laughs> it, yeah, it is a funny thing uh, that you you really notice when you get a compliment from someone that you the ratio of compliments that you give to people relative to the compliments that you receive, especially on set, is probably like a hundred to one. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, um. <laughs> I've been in that situation where I asked the DP, I'm like, "What do you think? That was that was a pretty good performance, right?" Yeah, and he's like, "Yeah." Look good. <laughs> like, yeah, but do you feel like, were you moved? Yeah, yeah. You just, you're yeah. looking for a little validation. or just <laughs> right, like right. someone to back you up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Uh, so what what do you have next? Are you going to be super involved in post on, I mean, you literally just had like three months of shooting. Three months of shooting, yeah. Which so, to me is like four months of posts, right? Yeah, like, yeah. So the so the previous show for Go Ninety, all the posts is in New York, and so um, I'm just now starting to see cuts, and they've been really great, and um, everyone seems really open, and the team is doing a great job. So, um, and that that uh, is mockumentary, so it's a really giant task. Um, This next one, um, the adaptive one, uh, which I think, you know, I hashtagged it. Yeah. Townies. It's um, all over Instagram. It's all over Instagram. It's too yeah. late. Um, 
that one, I think that one will be in LA. And I think because of the way we shot it, uh, post will come together very quickly and the release schedule is pretty soon. So, um, you know, there are fewer choices to make on that one. I think it'll come together relatively quickly. That first, the difference between the first cut and the last cut will be much, 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 much smaller than on the mockumentary. So do you have, uh, are you back into pitching and yeah, I have a pitch on Monday and, um, yeah, I'm doing um, a commercial spot in two weeks, and which am I allowed to say that they sure. found you through our podcast? Through our podcast, which yeah. I just just can't fathom. Yeah, um, how nobody's found me through our podcast. <laughs> um, but that's so awesome. Yeah, no, really lucky. Finally paying off Finally, this podcast, big time. Um, yeah, they found us through the podcast. It was a nice. It was really nice to get the job because. Um, you know, I work pretty hard on the on the pitch and stuff, but you you really there's that extra layer of wanting to come through, right? Like it's one thing to work for a new company; it's really valuable to get that first first win for them because it really helps solidify the relationship and like and create some really good vibes. But also when it's like, oh, someone listened to the podcast, you know, you really want to follow through, you know, put your money where your mouth is, you know. So yeah. it was great; it's really fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but we have very little idea of who listens to this and how much, it's very difficult to track, and so it's always kind of cool. Did I tell you, I think I told you that this, uh, the creative director I used to work with on all the Quiznos stuff, he moved Mm -hmm. to a new company, Mm. and the people that own that company recommended our podcast to him. No! And he was like, oh, yeah, I know the, I know the guys that do that, so. So funny. That's a shout out to Andrew Smith's. What's um, up, Andrew? Yeah. So, Do I know Andrew? I don't think I've known Andrew. I don't know if you've met him, but he's heard your voice. Hey, buddy. And you've seen a lot of his work. Yo, give he's me a, a call. He was a creative director at Windows Seat. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, um, some good stuff. I love those Quiznos spots, man. Yeah. Those ones are really good. But speaking of feedback, we did get a listener voicemail, which is surprising because we haven't really... <laughs> we keep forgetting our own phone number, but yeah. it's great to have a voicemail, and we are going to listen to it right now. Hey. Matt, hey, Oren. This is filmmaker, writer, director, Rolla Selbach um, from Los Angeles. And yes, I am a woman. And yes, I was to your show. Uh, and I'm definitely not the only one. I first came about your podcast after recently discovering Jim Cummings and listening to his interview on your show. So I'm a really, really big fan of you guys. Thanks for all the great stories and information and interviews. I really, really enjoy them. I do have a question. I'm not sure if it's in your real house or not, but I would love to know, what are some of the best ways of getting onto the writer's stuff for a show or a series? Do you need an agent, a representation? What types of samples should you have? Alrighty, thank you guys a lot. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Rolla Selbach, and I will keep listening. Thank you. Bye. Cool. Hey, thanks, Rolla. Way to give us a phone call. Yeah, thanks for the question. Uh, I mean, it sounds like Rolla, from a quick IMDb search, has already <laughs> accomplished a lot, and uh, she co-produced a movie that was at Sundance, and she's done a few series, and um, so it seems like your answers might be, uh, we're, we'll give you our best guess sure. as to how to get on a writing staff. Matt and I just spoke, and I said the best I can do is probably tell you of the people that I know that are on writing staffs and how they got there. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, yeah, you're, you're right. This is not 100% our, our wheelhouse. So everyone take it with a grain of salt. But it kind of comes down to the same sort of thing as booking directing jobs, right? And it's, um, 
what your sample is, right? Like right. what your reel or your writing packet is. Just write it. Just write it, right? So have some really killer stuff. Um, easier said than done. Um, and then also uh, the relationships to get you read, which is the trickier part, obviously. Um, and that can come through an agency, but also it can be like, you know, your friend who just got their first show or, um, you know, a friend of a friend in some circumstances. It depends on who who's looking for what, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so having a bit of a point of view and like some specificity is nice, you know? Um, again, easier said than done. Um, yeah. I mean, if yeah. you listen to the Nerdist Writers panel, they talk about this all the time, like everyone's story. But uh, I can tell you, the showrunners that were on Miss 2059, Simon and Aaron, they are now staff. They were staff writers on the Santa Clarita Diet, the mm-hmm. Netflix show, and then they moved on to because they had kind of sci-fi comedy experience from Miss 2059 and Santa Clarita Diet. Then they did People of Earth, the TB- TBS comedy, mm-hmm. and I think now they're back on Santa Clarita Diet. Um, and before Miss with 20- Melissa Hunter. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's- Previous guest. Oh right. And then um, before Miss 2059, they were writer's assistants on About a Boy and on Parenthood. Now, full disclosure, Simon's dad created the show Parenthood. Uh, So, you know, he had a pretty good connection there to get the assistant job. Yeah, I always say, and I think it's genuinely true, uh, getting the writer's assistant job is the hardest job to get in all of Hollywood. Yeah, because it's a lot of people it's a really great pathway to a writing job in terms of both learning the show and making the connections yeah having access um because you can build a relationship with a showrunner or staff writers and they can read your stuff after you've really you know um shown your grit and worth right it's a very hard job you have to be very detail oriented but you're in the crow's nest you're watching you know how a tv show gets made um, yeah, so that, that's really the best, uh, advice is to, to get one of those jobs. But, um, like we said, that's pretty darn hard. So again, I think it's samples and standing out, you know, I think, um, to get an agent, um, which is oftentimes how people get staffed up, you have to have a killer, killer sample and then like a little bit of something to get you recognized. So Rola, it looks like you've got some, some Sundance cred, uh, under your belt, which, um, Hopefully that's a little bit of heat that'll help you out in that situation. Um, yeah, and I like what you were saying, Matt, about just having a unique point of view. Uh, I, I think nowadays samples are probably an original spec pilot, mm-hmm. maybe a feature. Right. Uh, if you've had anything produced, which obviously looks from IMDb like you've directed a lot of stuff and have done things, that's a great, you know, mm-hmm. if you're super proud of anything and feel like it really uh, exemplifies your voice you could send that with your packet too mm-hmm. yeah things to help you stand out you know i think um you know Oren, you were just looking at a writer who sold a show um who has a great twitter feed which is oh, like yeah. an, and like i know everyone and a very annoying thing to hear um but you have to have that thing that makes you stand out whether it's a twitter feed or you're on a great improv team or you know you wrote a off-Broadway play that found a a following you have to have that and then also the samples to back it up that's really the way to do it and that can be a lot of different things it's okay if you're not great at one-liners and so Twitter isn't your thing but you do have to find that thing that helps you 
uh, rise above the rest because there are a ton of really, really great samples out there. Yeah, and you hear from on Nerdist, they he always asks the showrunners like how they put together their staff, and they basically just read a bunch of samples, right. trying to find someone whose voice is either missing from the show or mm-hmm. is very much in tune with, with the type of voice they want for the show. Yeah, and uh, having uh, like a, a little bit of experience in terms of that, you know, when I um, am looking to read other people's stuff, you know, I give them a little bit of a of a profile of the point of view that I'm looking for. You say like, hey, I really want people who are unlike me in these ways, right? You know, um, oftentimes I'm looking for like female writers pretty pretty often because I am uh, a dude, you know what I mean? And um, so I think leaning into what makes you unique um, will serve you more and more over the years. Yeah. When I worked at Disney, my boss, who's the head of production, Mike, he was friends with Fran Drescher, and she had a show on um, TV Land, Happily Divorced. Mm-hmm. And so him and one of our head comedy writers, Devin, they put together a sample of their work, and they got staffed on that show just by sending it to, to Fran. And so they were on two seasons of that, and then they moved on to another show at ABC Family. Mm-hmm. But, but that recommendation came from um, someone in the company as well. Right, it's not just that they had a good sample. Yeah, plus the um, the star of the show, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. That also created the show wanted them to be considered. Right. That, um, that's the ace of the sleeve. Right? Yeah, and they still said, you know, that it was like pretty nerve wracking, and mm-hmm. and they really had to kind of prove themselves once they got onto the show. Right. To kind of claw their way to the top, you know. Right. So, so all of which is to say, guys, because I think I'm sure there are plenty of listeners out there that are thinking, well, you know, I'm a white middle-aged guy in Michigan right now. How am I going to break out, right? Um, you know, the challenge is figuring out what makes you special and unique and what your real interests are, right? I think that there's this thing where you don't want to get pigeonholed or you want to write something really broad. Um, but like, you know, find the thing that's, quirky about yourself and explore that you know and i think that's the way to break out so and that's the way to find your point of view and your voice and then that will rise to the top you know yeah i met this guy from the east coast jersey where does boardwalk empire take place uh in jersey yeah and he knew every single thing about this hotel or this town Mm -hmm. i've never seen the show um but he basically kind of pitched himself to them as like the guy that will give uh like make everything they write feel authentic to mm-hmm. that place and mm-hmm. time right yeah totally so so, his, so he was like his an expert of, and that yeah. was his way in yeah his point of view is being from jersey yeah. right everyone is from somewhere everyone likes something strange um you know all of that stuff is is who you are and what makes you a good writer right and i would say that especially if you're starting out again this is just what i think i don't know that it's true but i would say that you should probably try to be pretty consistent with your tone like if you're a comedy person mm-hmm. or a one-hour drama person or you know like a more of a cable mm-hmm. versus a network person um you should make all your samples be pretty obvious as to what shows to pitch you for absolutely yeah i mean and i think that you and i are both kind of examples of that being successful you know we both love a ton of different types of movies and tv and commercials and all of that but 
you know, when you need someone who can do improv and make something look really good and be character based, I want you to think of me. Right. right. And when you want someone who has a really great aesthetic and to do action comedy, um, you want them to think of Orin. You know what I mean? Yeah. Edgar Wright or Orin. Yeah. There you go. Um, so, yeah. So hopefully that was helpful in some way. I mean, the biggest advice is go listen to the Nerdist Writers panel. <laughs> they <laughs> no, answer no, no, this no. question every hone single your, week. Hone your voice. Hone your voice and do a bunch of stuff. Right? Like, there's a, you just tweet it. Just write the play it. You know, just blog it. Uh, just write it. Just shoot it. Yeah. Go make. Go make. So thanks for the question again, Rola. If anyone else wants to ask us anything, it's great to get voicemails because we can edit them into the podcast. Uh, our phone number is... 2626-SHOOT-1. That's the number two, the number six, the number two, the number six. The word shoot and then the number one. Well, so uh, let's talk about some endorsements. Unpaid endorsements. Uh, yeah, so I, uh, I have a weird one for you. Maybe a bougie one. I hope it doesn't involve coffee. It does involve coffee. You <sighs> Wake me up stupid? when you're done. <laughs> oh, man. So, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So uh, Townies was on location. We lived in um, uh, a hotel for a little over a week, week and a half, basically. Um, and uh, so I brought my espresso machine to the hotel, and it was fucking great, dude. It was the best. We had... Uh, I had one in the morning and one in the afternoon. My DP came by. My sound guy had some. I made coffees for people. I brought tonic water. Uh, so I had espresso tonic. And um, it was great. Um, and then the other endorsement I have for field work in particular. Uh, have I talked about this? So I got a, a hat. I got like a safari dad hat, basically. I got the stupidest looking, most ergonomic, breathable hat. It's got like a mesh top. I look mm. like like a super nerdy does it have a fan uh, built in? It doesn't have a fan built in, but it might as well have. Um, yeah, it looked like a nerdy Alan Grant from Jurassic Park. Um, but I realized that it's better to go full stupid, full doofus with a hat than try to look cool because you need that big old brim. And like trying to look cool with a giant brim is like a game that you're going to lose. Yeah. Can I tell you, I took my 17-month-old to the happiest place on earth, Disneyland. Mm-hmm. And it was like 98 degrees. Yep. And it was pure hell. <laughs> uh, and I wish I would we would have all had giant hats because you're waiting hats. in line for yeah. 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you're on set and you're getting overheated and it's 100 plus degrees and all of that stuff, you know, there's this impulse. You see like pictures of John Ford or like, you know, Sam Raimi would wear a set to or a suit to set every day or Hitchcock or all those classic guys. Um, that's a great plan if you've got a trailer and, um, you know, a roaming village and the manpower to do everything. But I was like in the shit. So wear a stupid hat, bring yourself an espresso machine. Those are my two big field endorsements. Did you guys have an air-conditioned tent? Um, we didn't have any air-conditioned tents, but we did have a holding that was air-conditioned. Hair and makeup was air-conditioned, but they were all swamp coolers. So, like, you can mm, you can run those things human. 20, 24-7. It's still pretty humid. And, like, um, we did have a set medic on set, and uh, he was really incredible. And we had those cooling towels, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, we had some cheap ones, and then I sprung for, like, the $11 
Whoa. like Amazon one. And dude, there is a fucking difference. And these towels are, you dip them in ice water and then you drape them over your shoulders? Mm-hmm. Shoulders. I put it on, on my head. I like went full like Lawrence of Arabia. I look, all of the set photos, I look like a mess. <laughs> I look like a full doofus. I've got the bandana around my neck and then I've got a towel on my head. Basically like a ShamWow and then the hat and then the sunglasses and then um, uh, what you call it, uh, headphones. And then like a Hawaiian shirt and shorts and boots. That sounds awesome. It was fun. It was great. It was a dream come true. But uh, but yeah, I look like I'm melting in every single photo. Well, so for my endorsement, only because I have a feeling that our listeners listen to podcasts is why I'm endorsing this, which is just one specific episode of a podcast. I like Reply All. I might have even talked about it on here before. But it's episode 102, Long Distance. It's uh, Alex Goldman, who's one of the hosts of Reply All, gets scammed by this Indian company that's like trying to get him to pay for antivirus software he doesn't need. Um, And he's trying to like get them back. And I haven't even finished listening to it, but I, I... considered telling matt that i can't start the podcast until i finished listening to it i was so you came in, in pretty it. pretty jacked yeah you're yeah. pretty excited about um it. because they do all sorts of funny tricks to to try to identify and find this company in northeast india you know that's like calling random people in the u.s with 1-800 numbers uh so it's really fun um check it out and if you want to endorse anything or tell us anything uh, feel free to tweet at us. Uh, we would love if you could leave us a review on iTunes. You know, we did tell people Ooh. we would read them Hold on, out let's loud. Do it. And so now, before we end the show, we we're just going to read a few iTunes reviews that we got recently. Hey, thank you guys so much. Uh, first up, we've got Elijah Burr. Uh, who He says, uh, I'm on episode 29 right now, and I refuse to jump in on the last recorded episode, which is 65 or something. Matt Enlow and Oren Kaplan are inspiring the next wave of filmmakers, and they're restful and. Rec- with their restful and encouraging actions and words. Ah, thanks, hey, Elijah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. That was the plan. So uh, it's uh, great to hear that um, it's uh, encouraging people. Yeah. We need some bad reviews. Yeah. If anyone has a bad review, write one. So yeah, yeah, yeah. If so we like can argue with you on, a on li- the podcast. A little annoyed by us or something that we do stupidly. That I'd love a little contradiction. That would be great. Yeah, from I miss my YouTube days when everyone just tell me I suck all day. Yeah, uh, I want my forty-five to an hour and a half minutes back. Yep. <laughs> um, okay, next one from Sarah Films, June 29th. She says, uh, "I found this through Movie Maker Magazine, and I'm really enjoying listening to it. Though I need to go back and catch up on old episodes. As a Bay Area-based independent filmmaker and mother, I struggle to feel part of the industry." But this helps me know the lingo, and also it's just really fun to listen to. Thank you for making it. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. And thank you to Andy Young for the write-up in Movie Maker Magazine. What up? Yeah, that one's been great. Um, all right, last up, uh, Socially Conscious. Uh, I do not listen to podcasts, but I listen to this one, and it's fantastic. I discovered, I discovered it through a friend who was on the show and had posted the link on her social media, and I thought I'd give it a shot. I quickly binged through the entire list of episodes and now eagerly check my phone on a weekly basis to see if a new episode has come out yet. Sorry, socially conscious. I'm slacking on that. Uh, I have since made my colleagues listen to the show as well because I think that it, I think it's that valuable and provides a great framework for discussing creative projects as well as navigating the business. 
The thing about directing is that it's a very lonely job. That's the truth, huh? Directors don't really talk to each other or compare notes as much as other professionals in entertainment, i.e. writers, actors, etc. I tried to start a director's group like a writer's group once, and it failed ultimately because I couldn't get enough directors interested in doing it. So this podcast fills a pretty specific need I had as a creative. It gives me a chance to engage with other directors about the craft, even if the conversation is a one-sided podcast. How great is that, man? That's awesome. That's and the dream right it there. It shows that it's not so like 100% one-sided. Yeah. Like, if you guys want to give us some feedback, even in iTunes review form, that would be awesome. If you want to plug something you're working on, we mm-hmm. will read it on the podcast. Um, and, yeah, that's awesome. I think by just circling back to what we started talking about, show running versus directing, I think one of the biggest advantages of being a showrunner is you do get to work with all these different directors. Mm-hmm. And as a director, also, you get to see literally on set how other people work because trying to think i don't think i've ever been on one of matt's sets and i don't think you've been on one i don't of my think set, so. so i feel like we've been close to it being convenient but i feel like typically we're both working around the same time give or take you know yeah so it's nice to even just see how people are on set um super valuable mm-hmm. uh well thanks for the reviews uh Feel free to email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com if you have any questions, concerns, um, and uh, anything else. Yeah, you, you can tweet at me at Mr. Matt Enlow or tweet at the show at justshootitpod. Or tweet at me at smitypyleg. Yeah, and we are, uh, we're we're looking for a little bit of social media and website help. We um, uh, Listeners who are paying close attention will notice that I am doing a bad, a full-on bad job at uh, updating the website. And so um, in addition to our great editors, I think a little bit of help on that would be great just to make sure that we're engaging with the community in a way that's valuable and helpful. Uh, I try to keep an eye out on Twitter, but um, you know, there's a lot of really great conversations that I think the community in general would be bolstered by. So um, if you are interested in that, you want to connect with filmmakers and help us out a little bit, uh, give us a, a, drop us a line. You can email us uh, with the subject line webmaster. So just shoot it pod at gmail.com. Thank you. And thanks to Jay McAuliffe and Christopher Gray for editing our show. Thanks, everybody. Thanks to uh, the Free Music Arch- Archive and the artist Jazar. Hey, everybody. Oren got it right for the first time ever. No, it's like my second time. Anyway, uh, and that's it. We'll catch you on the next episode. See you in the pictures. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.